0: Hello, my friend. How are you doing? I hope you're having a super day. This is the celebrity chat. Yay. And this is Ron Clifford. And he is so interesting. He's done a TED talk. He's a really amazing photographer. But his life experience is oh, it's just so interesting. So have a listen. Let's talk about wellness and let me know what you think. Take care. Talk to you soon. Hi, my friends. Welcome. This is the Back to Me podcast, and this is Heather, and I am super excited that you're here. You are going to hear some tips and some tricks and some ideas to help you live your happiest and healthiest self. I call it Back to Me because when you are taking care of yourself, Back to Me, then you can take better care of others, and we can all make the world a better place. This is Wellness Your Way, and I am super happy that you're here. Hello, my friends. How are you? Welcome back. It's the Back to Me podcast. And Back to Me is all about back to you because I want you to be your happiest and healthiest self. And who am I? I am Heather. And I am, I'm going to say this, I'm the fabulous host of Back to Me. And the fabulous Friday edition means that I get to talk to a celebrity and I said this last week, I think you're all celebrities in my mind, but today's fabulous celebrity is Ron Clifford, who I met recently and I thought was a super interesting person. And I thought, let's talk with Ron about stuff, <laughs> wellness related, right? <laughs> stuff. That's what we're going to talk about. Um, and Ron, I know that you are a photographer and I've looked at some of your photos and they say a lot of things. But I would like to know more about you, Ron, the person. Yeah.
1: Okay, yeah. Well, thanks for having me on, Heather. Um, I'm sure the the conversational meander and yes, um, it does. Yeah, talking about wellness and health and mental health or physical health. Um, those are all topics I, I certainly have a, a little bit of insight on. So I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes.
0: Yes, and we just beforehand we were talking about your. The, the sign above your door. I'm just going to look at my notes. What I can't help but do. Is that what it
1: says? It says, do what you can't help but do. Do it's what a, you can't help what, but yeah, do. A bit of a tongue twister. And and um, it, it comes from somebody. I don't even know the original person that said it. So I don't take 100% credit for that saying. I was watching a, an interview with an editorial photographer who uh, way back in the way back in the 70s, was talking to a photographer who gave him the advice to shoot what you can't help but shoot. And he said it that way and it that kind of stuck with me. And, uh, and while I do that with my photography, I think in life generally, you need to do what you can't help but do. We're all born with certain gifts and talents, things that we're naturally inclined to do. And I don't think we should spend our lifetime fighting against that. And so I do what I can't help but do. And uh, for me, that's... Expressing myself through photography and using my camera as a tool of connection to the world around me, and most especially creative people.
0: That's actually uh, brilliant. And that wasn't what I expected, which is even better because I didn't <laughs> know what answer I was going to get. But yeah. it's you just made me think, you know, how the buzzwords are these days are like follow your passion, follow your bliss, do this, do yeah. this. But people will say, I don't know what my passion is. Mm. I don't know what I should do. But if you put it in the context of what can you not help, that just Dude, makes yeah. so much more sense.
1: Watch a, a room full of kids. <clears throat> and and they're all different. They're all going to do something different. But every one of them brings something unique to the table. Kids are uninhibited that way. And I think if we, you know, I got, I've got i uh, got four kids of my own and two grandkids. And I, I was just thinking today, I was playing with my uh, six-year-old grandson pardon me seven. Oh, oh don't make that mistake oh he watch up. it watch it <laughs> and, and he got this little little uh thing for doing help around the house it was uh a little skateboard uh finger skateboard park you know finger oh my skate God, doing so finger, cool. finger skateboards yeah and we were doing finger- and, and you're just watching him and his mind go about how to make them work and he says you got to do it like this and you got to hold your hands like that and you know he's probably never rode a skateboard yet but i would I would be inclined to think that because of his level of activity and his interests, he would be really interested in sports or cars or skateboards or, or maybe hockey or skiing. And, and these are just things that that he would naturally be drawn to where his brother would be drawn to completely different things. And so, yeah, that just this morning reminded me, you got to do probably you
0: you would have, If you're watching even your four kids. So I'm the oldest of four kids. Yeah. And, I know we are very different people, even though we came from the same parents. Just the things that we want to do, the things we find interesting, are just very different. And sometimes we forget that's okay, right?
1: Yeah, and you know what? There's also I'm kind of I kind of buck against the system a little bit uh, about you know, like you were saying about there's all these. Uh, common social catchphrases and different ideas in our in our world and in in the entrepreneurial industry. And I, I'm I'm not necessarily on board with that. You have to do this. There's this one thing that you have to do. Like it's going to be the one thing, right? <clears throat> I believe that we bring our gifts and talents to whatever we do. And so, for some of us, that might be working a full time job. For others, like myself, it might be more of an entrepreneurial lifestyle and whether it's when i was painting houses for a living or now going on expeditions to really exotic places i bring the same skill set with me and so i i think that we can have jobs that may be less glamorous and still bring word, all yeah. of ourselves to the table and right. still make an impact yeah
0: i've even had that conversation so i belong to some networking groups for women and you know people will come on and say i'm just a housewife i'm like no way there's no just no because
1: of that there
0: i like that's such a valuable role to play you know you are bringing and if that's what you love to do oh my gosh then love it love it to death right um I always, and I don't mean this is going to sound sexist, kind mm-hmm. of in an anti-sexist kind of way. So I always say my husband is the best housewife ever. But that's because I don't know what else to call him because he cares for me so well. And le- and that allows me to do the things I'm really good at. And he's, <laughs> yes, he's really, I'm sorry, you're still suffering a little bit. It's all good. I,
1: you didn't get the mute button hit on time. So.
0: I know. It's like. <clears throat> we won't mention the the c word. But-
1: <laughs> no, we won't. No, I'm, I'm I'm almost three weeks past it, but I have still got a little cough. Yeah,
0: but you're looking you're looking awesome. So yes, like there's. I love
1: no- that you say that about your 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 husband because I um I was able to spend time at home with two of my four kids, uh, kind of like as paternity. I was self employed, so my wife went back to her career and I stayed home. And there, even when the uh, grandkids had to stay home over COVID, I was able to step in in that role of—I don't know what it is—house husband. You know, I was grandpa, but I was—I yeah. was—I was at the role of staying at home, and I really admire that. I don't think it's necessarily uh, a, a sexist conversation at all. I, I think we take on roles we have to take on, and sometimes men are good at the home role. They're really good you know, at he, it.
0: Yeah. But we've been, some of, some of the conditioning, and um, I think even some of the pressure with women with that book called Lean In is, no, you have to have a career, and it has to be a ladder climbing, and you have to have this powerful position. So when I was traveling in India, you don't realize how powerful the head of the household, the female of the head of the household is, sure. until you listen to her yell at her husband. <laughs> Yeah. Right? She's got power, man. <laughs> yeah. And we and sometimes I think we lose our way a little bit with the um, do I'm going to I'm going to get it wrong again. Do,
1: do what you can't help but do.
0: Do what you can't help but do. Yeah. Sometimes we think, well, that's that's not important enough or that's just because it's, maybe it's something that's so easy for us. Oh, that's too easy you know, life can't be that easy.
1: Oh, you know, that's such a good point because I deal with a lot of creative people that don't think they bring much to the table because they don't maybe feel challenged enough by what it is they're doing. And that doesn't mean that what they're doing isn't difficult or important. Such a good point that there's certain things that come really naturally to me. I don't think about them, but I know, for example, my brother he would struggle deeply with those same things. Whereas he does certain things that come completely naturally to him. And I struggle with those very same things. And so just because something doesn't feel like it's challenging or we don't put it on a level of importance, doesn't make it unimportant.
0: Right. So true. I can, I can remember someone's because I am, I am a bit on the, well, I'm on the creative side, hundred percent in the creative world. And um, someone said to me one day, can you draw me a bath? Meaning they wanted me to fill the bathtub with water. So I drew them a bathtub and they're like, how did you do that? I'm like, what do you mean? How did I do that? All I did was just draw a bathtub. Like, But they yeah. couldn't even conceptualize how I could have just put a pencil to paper and draw a bathtub. <laughs> yeah. And it's one of those things where um, you don't realize that because you're in it and it just seems normal. You, it doesn't, you don't recognize that it's not normal for everybody to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Like your photographs are beautiful. And I think, wow, I wish I could take pictures like that. But you're probably just like, oh, didn't you just see it? It was right there. Click, 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 click.
1: <laughs> I think so, yeah, one of the things that I'm a photography mentor, and I teach a lot of photographers, and one of the things I try to teach them is the ability to see in a unique or different way. Um, and, um, perhaps that comes more naturally to me. I do find that one of the most challenging things to teach isn't how to take a picture. It's how to, how to move from being a good photographer to being, you know, a great photographer, taking it from that, that level where, okay, now I can take reasonably good pictures. They're always exposed nicely and they look pretty. Where do you want to take it? How can you get it to that next level? That's the most challenging thing to teach.
0: Is that like being a Wayne Gretzky, seeing the picture Uh, before the picture happens?
1: Yeah, because he always said he, you know, his he he has a knack for being where the puck is going to be. Right, that was like
0: he's psychic or something.
1: Yeah, Um, so maybe maybe there's a bit of that uh, involved in it, but seeing the
0: things unfold.
1: Yeah, Mm. one of the things I ask uh, photographers, particularly that want to get better, is in order to take good pictures, you need to be in a place where a good picture is likely to transpire. So if you go out at noon in the bright sun in the desert, it's not very likely you're going to get a really dramatic picture. But it's if you go to the same hell. spot, yeah, but if you go to that same spot at sunset, when the, this light is skimming across the sand dunes and creating these amazing patterns, you stand a really good chance of getting a unique or different picture. And so maybe it has to do with that idea to put yourself so, in a position where you can be your best.
0: And I guess that's a little bit of knowing your subject. Is that is that a right thing to say?
1: I would say yeah. Knowing your subject is really important. Doing a little bit of research, understanding the light, knowing how light works—they're um, all important.
0: I mean, I know you know. Um, I know some photographers who say, "Well, this is the rule. There's the rule of thirds. There's the rule of this. There's the rule of that. There's the rule of that." But um, I guess do you get to the point where you you know the rules well enough that you know which ones to break? Is that a, is that a fair thing to say? <laughs> yeah,
1: i would I would like to to have uh, photographers that I teach creative people artists to get to a level where they they compose intuitively from the gut and not from the head. And it's when you can start to do that that your pictures will really elevate. It, right. It's not we learn these different rules, like the rule of thirds, to begin to learn how to not put everything right in the middle of the focus point of a picture. Like that's, <laughs> let's, let's get it off to the side a little bit, right? Let's like a little more interesting than everything is symmetrical. But inevitably, these rules start our brain thinking To see differently and then eventually it gets to the heart you got to get it out of the head from rule-based thinking to heart-based thinking and that's i I think really important for any creative person
0: yeah i think about you know rules are very left brain Mm -hmm. and um the but people respond to the logical left brain and but people respond to images with emotion so yeah you if it's too logical then I guess it's not always true that people won't react to it, but um, maybe it's too formulaic sometimes if you yeah. too, too, too much in that logic. Yeah, it can
1: be too, too mechanically constructed.
0: Right. Yeah. And I was thinking yeah. um, of like this, speaking of the C word. <laughs> so, and helping people. So when I, I can remember the first time I had to have photos taken um, I, and this had nothing to do with the last two years. I was just like, oh my God, why would you want to take a picture of me? So I wonder sometimes like, cause when I, I was talking like earlier, when I talk about wellness, it's like a whole gamut of things. And one of those things is, I don't know which category it would fit in, but being okay with yourself. And that is the doing the things, what you do, what I can't help, but do what you can't help but do i keep looking over at my notes i know i'm gonna have it perfected by the end of this so being comfortable with that but then also being comfortable being seen doing that which i think photographs like some of the really in uh, most impactful photographs you see are when they capture that person Mm. somehow yeah
1: one of the the highest compliments I can receive as a photographer is when somebody says to me, "You didn't just take a picture of what I look like. That's a picture of who I am." Right. And that, I mean, that's the ultimate goal. Like to get a compliment like that is really, uh, I, it just really says something about the connection you had with your client, and that you brought all of your skill set together in creating a moment that is actually reveals something about who they are. I think that any great photograph. Is about that, and it doesn't have to be a person. Although with people we recognize it faster. Yeah. It can be a landscape. It can be a picture of, uh, you know, um, lions in Africa. It can be pictures of penguins in Antarctica. When the photographer is able to have their images begin to reveal the character of the thing they're photographing, I think they have reached a certain level. If they can do that consistently. That's a really hard job for a photographer, a creative person to do.
0: And do you find this is like, I'm just thinking about um, the things you would encounter that do you think people restrict, restrain themselves from, from allowing that to come out sometimes if they're, yeah. and how do you, how do you help them be okay with being them?
1: Um, as a portrait photographer, I tell people I'm a portrait photographer, and I hold up my my teaching fingers and I point. i I take portraits of people, right? And I take portraits of nature, because it's all portrait photography. But with portraits of people specifically, it's ninety nine percent psychology and like one percent photography. <laughs> Some people say it's 90% or 80%, 20%. I think it's 99% psychology. Um, I've come to understand that one of the gifts I bring to the table is a calm, trustworthy demeanor. And I don't mean to say that in an immodest way or like I'm boasting. That's just the feedback I've heard from people over years of dealing with them. And I think that helps me help people relax when there's a camera between us. I'm very conversational like we're talking now is like I would be talking to somebody who I'm photographing and I think having a very conversational relaxed style allows a person to let that guard down now sometimes it's not so easy I remember I, I always tell stories and I remember us taking a, a photograph of our former mayor um, Tom Taylor and he's he's uh He's a grandfather, maybe even a great-grandfather at this point, but a grandfather. He was a fantastic mayor for our town. He did a lot of great initiatives. Um, his son is now the current mayor. And um, he's, uh, hes not, you know, you, you, you never hear the word honest politician, but when I look at him, I think of an honest politician, you know. Um, he very, very well liked man. And while we were photographing, he kept on, I was doing a character portrait for him. And for uh, we were doing a, what was called the Characters of Main Street. It was a gallery show for the unique characters I've met on, on our Main Street, New Market. And it, it took about an hour. So I don't think a portrait can be done in like two or three minutes or 10 minutes. And, and so I, I said, we're, our session's going to take a little bit, bit of time. and We're going to change up the, the look a little bit a few times. And finally, at the end, he finally got, I tired him out enough that he let his guard down. And I got this photograph of him. And uh, I knew when I took it, it was the last picture I took of the day. And I, I took the picture and I knew that was it. That was him. That was that was the man, Tom Taylor, the grandfather, the husband, the father, that like all wrapped up into this one, one image that I was really proud of. And, and it went into the show. It went into the gallery show. And I remember on the opening, his family came in and uh, he walked in and he looked at it. Because I didn't let them see the pictures beforehand. The, oh, the were. Smart. It was literally an unraveling, and I had all this crinkled paper around every picture hanging in the cafe. It was a big gallery wall. And I, I took the, the paper, the big reveal of the paper came off. And he looked at it, and he, and he just said, hmm. And he walked, <laughs> walked on, you know. And I thought, oh, no, I, I failed. Like, and uh, <laughs> excuse me. then his, uh, his wife walked in, and she just stopped like it was one of the first ones on the that you see when you came in and she just stopped and stared for a minute and she just said wow you know that was it she said wow and then i believe it was his granddaughter came in behind her and she stopped and she stared for a minute you know and she just said wow and she walked and i thought wow you know <laughs> as much as i told him tom i'm not going to be kind about your age you know i'm not going to you know put soft focus filters on I'm going to try and tell the story. Um, I don't know how he feels about it, but they they ended they hung it in their home, so <laughs> I think that's good. so um, anyway, I was just going to say that story is is about achieving that uh, yeah revealing the true character of a person
0: right. And it's interesting that his his re- response was, "hmm." <laughs> yeah.
1: wasn't sure how he felt about the image because when we see ourselves like there's a certain amount of truth maybe we don't want to see
0: well that's kind of what i was thinking about you know (laughs) when i've had images taken um sometimes i'm afraid to look at them yeah (laughs) because what if i see something i don't want other people not that i have to show them but what if you go and do i feel safe putting that that image of me out there
1: yeah right Um, And and, again, we'll get back to this conversation about maybe making a a comment that feels sexist, but isn't. But I found, you know, through a lifetime of photographing, women are far more conscious about minor things that they don't like about themselves that the viewer often has no idea about. Like, and and it's just more with women than men, but men do have it as well, I got to admit. But I see it more with women who, you know, you're looking at it and then they will say something like, oh, I don't like the way my neck looks in that picture. And you didn't look, you've never looked at their neck. Like you've never, it never even occurred to you that this might be an issue. Somewhere. So yeah. I,
0: It's true. Uh, it's so true. I can remember someone, and actually he was right. Someone had taken a photograph of him and it, the way it was lit, his ear, his one ear was just like, wow, it's like bright red because the way it was lit he said, I can't look at anything but my ear. I'm like, okay, well you can. Was like, tone it down a little bit, <laughs> but yeah. I was like, you focus on one thing. Like, if I sometimes when I see my picture, I'm like, oh, that's crooked. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, but I am that shape. So nobody would. Really we're not. Symm-
1: if you saw a perfectly symmetrical photograph of yourself, like if you split yourself in two and flipped it, and it would look so strange. You would look wrong, very wrong.
0: I remember. We're not we're,
1: symmetrical.
0: No, I remember like a. I'm going to say a hundred years ago, but it wasn't that long. It was like the Mike Douglas show or something. Do you remember that show? It was Mike one Douglas. of those you know your name, it's Like yeah. way back. And he had, I think it was the Mike Douglas show. And um, he had a woman on who had had, her husband was a plastic surgeon and she had had so much surgery done. He had made her symmetrical. She looked really weird. I was just a kid at yeah. the time. It's like, wow, guess I'll yeah, you get plastic surgery. <laughs>
1: Really
0: odd. Yeah. So weird. <laughs> but it's true. But I, and sometimes I think having your photo taken can really help you, even if you choose never to share it with the world, like someone who can actually capture you. So when I'm doing coaching, I try to help people see themselves, but I can't not visually. It's like, can you yeah. see you're saying this, but you're doing this? So it's on a whole different level where you see yourself kind of maybe the way other people see you from the outside. Yeah. When you have a really good image taken.
1: Photography is personal and it's vulnerable, especially portrait photography. And um, I've done a few vulnerable things in my life. One of the most vulnerable things I did, I uh, I was fortunate to be able to do a, a, a TEDx talk. And I know, it's
0: super. Excited. I wanted to talk about that too, and, by the way.
1: Um, and I'll, I'll tie that here because the, my TEDx talks w- was about uh, being a bipolar photographer. Not only do I get to travel to the ends of the earth, uh, both the Arctic and Antarctica as a photography guide, but I actually have overcome the debilitating effects of a bipolar diagnosis in my life. And part of traveling to extreme places helped with that. Really? And so, yeah, uh, so, so strange that um, <clears throat> life rarely unfolds the way we want it to. And uh, my life uh, story, and uh, I don't think we'll get all that deep into it, was um, was less than ideal. And I now get to live a life that is a pinch me kind of life. It's like, this can't even be real. It can't happen. You know, it can't really be happening to me.
0: Your life is like one of the things people fantasize about.
1: Yeah. So I I get to do, and it doesn't, doesn't go by me lightly. I get to do things. Most people never get to do. Like I I have literally photographed penguins and polar bears. I've been to Africa. I get to teach people. I watch and help people with their creative careers and um, I have a family, I, I have a wife of 32 years, and I've overcome things in life, we, I, I shouldn't just say I, because she played a massive role in, in that, we have overcome tremendous obstacles to be able to do that. So the most vulnerable thing that I had to decide to do was become willing to tell part of my story, willing to say that this happened to me, and be willing to talk about how... Um, how I overcame those debilitating effects of that illness. And that was really hard to do. We don't want to talk about the bad things that happen, like for the most part. And I didn't want people associating a mental health journey with my personal story. I don't know why it was so hard for me. It was really hard. I didn't want people to, to look at me and maybe think, oh, well, he's, you know, he's, you know, got this going on, or he had addictions, or he had this happen. I I just, this made me pride, or I just didn't want to be that vulnerable.
0: But if you think about it, that's like revealing your, it's like walking around naked, you know, not everyone's comfortable walking around with my, here's my life laid out in front of you. And that's like a little bit of that comes through for some people just having their picture taken. Like that's a, that's a revealing too much of themselves, and and um, we we walk around often with not only our clothes on but our cloaks on. Of this is yeah. who we yeah. are, and you can't look under here because you might see something. La <laughs> la 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 la, nothing to see here, right? Yeah. But what, it's what, incredibly. I find it incredibly generous when people do just tear it open and say, "Look, this." is what happened to me. And um, it's generous because it, it helps people see possibilities beyond.
1: Yeah. We're, maybe... we're built for relationship. I, I think we're created for community mm-hmm. and uh, that I have a favorite saying. It's a, a, a scriptural saying that is um, iron sharpens iron. So one person sharpens another. And that was really powerful to me because I, it also brought me to the place that if I didn't share things I'd overcome, perhaps I'm robbing people of the inspiration to overcome in their own battle. And so I had to, I had to get over it. I had to get over that, that pridefulness of, you know, and that's what it was. It was really a pridefulness of not wanting to share, not wanting to pe- see that I, I maybe had failures or weak moments. But that's not helpful. That's not even genuine. And we all have areas of our lives that we're not particularly proud of or happy about. Oh, yes. Yeah. But it, it's in finding a way to share about them appropriately that we find healing.
0: And in a way that it's like it reveals something about you so people can make that social connection to you and feel like, okay, you know, I was thinking of the honest politician. So. <laughs> If politicians could actually share a bit of their vulnerabilities, maybe we would, we would trust them more. I don't know. But, yeah. and I, I mean, I had a coach once who uh, says to everyone who's holding back, getting on with helping people. It's like, you're being, how dare you withhold what you have to share with people because it can help someone. So by you feeling like, okay, I'm going to do this. Finish, and in TEDx, that's like pretty major in my world
1: it was it was a pretty big deal for me right
0: but you were sharing it to a group to with the intention of not you know bringing yourself down or labeling yourself but with the intention of helping someone who could use your journey to help them on their journey
1: yeah um i like that you mentioned the word labels because we we rebel against labels and um Sometimes that's a good thing. We don't want to put labels on people, but sometimes a label like an accurate diagnosis connects you to services and people that you need. Right. And so I I used to think that labels were just all bad and I've changed my mind. First of all, having special needs kids um, helped me change my mind because without accurate diagnoses, without those accurate labels, we can use that word, they wouldn't have been able to get the help they needed and I wouldn't have been able to get the help I needed. And so I, while I still think labels are too, too quickly and loosely thrown on things, I think they can be deeply important to helping in a mental health journey, especially.
0: Well, and I think we rebel against labels because we think you only get one. Yeah. And then you're, you're, that's you. But I, I like even without a label, like you are a father and a grandfather and a brother and a husband, like you've got lots of, there's lots of labels you could put on people and all of them are correct. And none of them are complete.
1: Yeah. That's such a good point.
0: Right. Um,
1: And I think you're right. I think we, we, we think every decision we make is like, like a marriage, right? You know, everything we do, we, we put so much into it that we can't possibly change our mind about it. And that's oh just God. not true. That's, it's so that's not true, true at all. No. And um, we, you know, some of the simplest things like what color car should I get becomes, you know, it keeps us up for three weeks. It's like <laughs> right. so silly. Like, it's like this is not the most important decision in the world in life.
0: No, exactly. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Most decisions in life are like that. They're not as important as we make them at the time. Uh, some are. Some are really important.
0: And we don't realize till we're further away from it. We're like, "Wow!" Yeah. Like I think about stuff that was so overwhelming as a teenager because that's when everything is overwhelming. Yeah. To make a decision when you're a teenager, it's like the ends of the world were happening, and then you get, you know, into your thirties, you're like, "Wow." that actually wasn't that important, right? So you're just like, perspective, I know, yeah. gives, gives yeah. Lots, of, <laughs> lots of clarity. But I want to go back a little bit to how did going to such extreme environments, like I think Antarctic, Antarctic, like I have some friends who are kayak guides, and I know that those are extreme environments and stuff is happening yeah. all the time. And yeah. I would think that going into some kind of a challenging situation like that would make it more challenging. But how did that help? you
1: um there are a few things that really helped helped. there are a few things that really helped um one of the most important parts about doing travel to extreme places um is that you have to let go of outcomes Mm. you have no choice so in polar expedition travel we tell our guests people that we're hosting that um they're going to discover that in every day we have a like plan A and a plan B because plan A never happens. Exactly. And then we have a plan C and a plan D and a plan E. That <laughs> in, in polar expedition travel, often we're down at plan E, F, and G when things can finally start to happen. So what that does <clears throat> is it takes away your need to control every outcome. And it turns out that living in the moment like that switched my brain into a new mode. Well, And so I was afraid of flying. I was afraid of traveling. I'm not afraid of water. That's okay. Ships are okay. But Antarctica, this, this incredible, vast, immense place that's the most wild place on earth. And I I willingly put myself there. Um, Changed, I think, you know, fundamentally the way my mind thinks about things. And I I started living in the moment instead of for some perceived idea of the way things should be.
0: That's awesome. I love that because um, I guide kayak trips in, in Georgian Bay and we do the same thing. Yeah, this is our plan, but, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> I mean, and it's not as wild as so it's even more wild than Africa.
1: I think Antarctica is is the most wild place. Wow, on Earth.
0: Yeah, it's so that's interesting Antarctica. to know. Now I have to go for sure. I have to
1: go. Africa yeah. wild. There's no question. I was I was in Botswana and uh, along the Chobe River and in the uh, the Chobe National Park, and I've been you know, inches away from elephants and, and you know, um, feet away from, from lions. And it was wild. And maybe because I, I went to Africa after doing several polar trips, it was less impactful.
0: Right. It was amazing.
1: But Antarctica grabbed my heart in a way that nothing ever did. Wow. And, uh, yeah.
0: But it is true. It's almost like because I've taken groups out to Georgian Bay who – I guide women and um, they come from all different backgrounds and some of them have never really camped without a car and a cooler and a flush toilet before. And some of them have never really kayaked before. And it's a big transition for them to let go of the well, no, I have to do this at this time and this at this time, and I have to shave my legs. (laughs) No, you don't.
1: (laughs) No, you don't. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And for some of them, you can see the mental struggle happening of, like, they're trying to fight against the, no, this is how things should be. If you get them out there long enough, you can see that let go. And I think it does change your mind. And I think it changes it in such a good way that you stop struggling against so many other things. Yeah. But you almost need to be like, I know, I know um, some times people who are struggling with uh, yeah. addictions get sent off into wilderness rehab because yeah. it throws them deep into it. And it's, I guess it's trying to break patterns of thoughts and behavior. And
1: yeah, there's so, so, I mean, we could go so far into that because I did overcome certain things throughout my journey long before I went on any of these polar trips. And um, yeah, breaking, breaking habits and addictions is a completely, we can go on for an hour about that one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I said that I'm in a season in my life that you just have to pinch me because I, I have been able to do that. And, then and how do you sustain
0: life. it? How do you sustain that? Or is it just like now? It's just part of who you are.
1: It's yeah. It has become part of who I am. Um, I don't even think about it anymore. Like it's I'm I'm so far away from that other person that I was that I don't think about it. And a lot of things go into that. You know, I I could I could talk about the the faith part of my journey, the more religious side of me. I could talk about uh, the support I've had. You know, in my family and in my relationships, uh, the fact that I'm still married after 32 years, there's no way that a person that's been through what I've been through and done the things I've done and experienced what I've experienced should be married. Still, <laughs> it shouldn't shouldn't happen. But it, it we're together and we're married and we 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 have children that love us and that we love them and then you know they're having children now. What an incredible opportunity. Like, right. I pinched me, like literally pinched me, because I'll tell you, when I was that, that, that 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old kid who was in so much trouble and had no idea how the world worked, I couldn't have dreamt of uh, that kind of an outcome for myself.
0: What would you have told that kid if you met him? Like, who you are now? <laughs>
1: Wow. Well, first I would have said, "Put on your seatbelt. You're in for a ride." <laughs> <laughs> oh, excuse me.
0: That's yeah. all right.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, but um, I would. I would have had to have said, "Stop taking things so seriously." You know, I was such a serious kid. Um, everything was serious, and and still today I'm a pretty serious guy. But um, I would have, you know, give yourself a bit of a break. It's not. Well, maybe the most important thing. You know, just. It's not your fault. You know, I'm I'm there taking on the world as a teenager, living on my own, trying to go through school. Uh, I was out of the house much too young. And nobody told me it wasn't my fault.
0: Right. Well, the kids take on a lot of burdens, don't they? Yeah. Without recognizing it until hopefully they learn how to put them down.
1: Yeah. Life is going to going to give you some hard times and you got to roll with the punches you know not everyone gets away with easy street but not everybody stays in the hard place you don't have to stay there
0: even the people who appear to be on easy street you don't actually know what they're struggling with i don't i don't think anybody gets easy street at all just social media makes us think that look their life oh, is perfect
1: media, yeah my goodness right? I'm glad I'm a, certain, a, a teenager now oh my goodness
0: imagine if we were yeah. teenagers during social media i would have lost my mind yeah <laughs>
1: right. i don't know i yeah i would i would have thought that i had to figure out how to be a famous youtube channel or something i don't right?
0: know <laughs> obviously this is of severe importance
1: yeah, the most important thing in the world is having more than a million followers. Oh, yeah, gosh. It's, it's not. I actually, I, I, maybe one, one day I'll tell that story, how I lost 3 million social media followers. But, uh, I, I had I had nearly 3 million social media followers. Really? Yeah. Wow, and,
0: I uh, had no idea you were so influential.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was a big, big-time influencer. That's me. <laughs> you know? um, yeah, no, it was on the Google Plus network where the photographers all met. And uh, oh. I, I, I became a verified user, and I did have a certain level of influence in my my circles. Um, but those things are all just a mirage—the social media followings and, and getting your value out of likes—and it's it's a bit of a mirage.
0: I would prefer to spend you know an hour sitting with one person having a conversation than having a million likes that doesn't mean you guys shouldn't like but
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh,
0: but it's true i mean the the most uplifting that i ever get from the things that i share i mean i do the podcast to highlight people who i think have have interesting stories and interesting journeys and can share something that will help but it's all to help so The most interesting thing I get from my podcast isn't I don't check how many likes I have. It's when somebody sends me a message that says this was really impactful for me. And that one person is just like, oh, that's worth a million followers, right? Yeah. Because I want the world to be so much better.
1: Yeah. I spend a lot of time in one-on-one conversations. I prefer them now. Or small groups. Rather than trying to create content for an audience. Like, there's such a different mindset. And, and and I'm not I I I don't really miss it uh, trying to trying to be all that you know that's that's a hard hard thing and and your your impact is I think your impact in personal real relationships is much more powerful than being a social media influencer although I don't I don't think it's a bad thing to have, to have an influence on people especially if your message is solid and it, it's one of uh, victory you know bringing people from from you know the way things used to be to the way things are i think that's a good thing but, but social media influence is limited and it's fickle yes
0: <laughs> oh my gosh and the algorithm <laughs> will change next week anyway yeah. so
1: <laughs> that's right it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a battle i don't want to fight
0: so. <laughs> one of my one of my nieces her job is social media and i can't even understand that's a job yeah like
1: <laughs> well, an have- it is a job. I mean, it needs your full time attention in order to understand how it's working next week.
0: Right. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> I was going to say I- you mentioned Georgian Bay. I want to say I love Georgian Bay. I spend a lot of time up there. Uh, it's so, uh, it's probably my second favorite place in the world to be. To be wow. So,
0: second favorite. That's pretty,
1: yeah. pretty
0: good. I've been to some,
1: like, I love the mountains of British Columbia and I love Africa, but I just, Maybe because it connects to my child, like my early childhood, and it connects to the place where I felt most connected and at peace. But Georgian Bay is a really spectacular place in the world.
0: And if, and there's still places you can go and just unplug yourself for long enough to yeah. hear the quiet. We don't yeah. hear the quiet very much, right?
1: Yeah. Listen to the sound of waves on the beach and uh, see the storms and. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: the storms. Great. Oh, the
1: storms. Yeah, there's a it's a unique place in the world, so the storms are quite spectacular.
0: They are. And being in a tent is pretty exciting.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the only place that I was ever actually terrified from thunderstorms was being in a tent on the peninsula. In, the,
0: yeah, uh, I can I can uh, one up you. I was in a tent in a thunderstorm with um, the storm had come in quite fast and I had pine gum in my hair. And so I was using peanut butter to get the pine gum out of my hair. And I knew there was a bear on the Island.
1: Oh no. <laughs> and
0: the storm came and I still had peanut butter in my hair. And I had to go into my tent. <laughs> so I'm like, well, I hope the bear doesn't come.
1: <laughs> yeah. There you are. You're bait. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you take my hair. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: But if you ever want to get pine gum out of your hair, folks. Peanut butter does peanut work. Peanut butter will work.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's good to know.
0: Just don't do it when there's a bear wandering around on the island. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's amazing. So it's and when you say that the do what I can't help but do, overcome. Yeah. How did that help you overcome things? Or was it just that it gave you the focus to?
1: Well, do what you can't help but do is is part of the journey that I came to understand that you can't fight against your like who you are. Uh, I am I'm, I'm highly distractible. Um, I can't hold my attention for long periods of time. I when I find something I really want to know, I'm voraciously curious, and so I'll study something until I, I beat it to death. And, and sometimes that's a good thing, but sometimes it's not a good thing because I hyper-focus on things and I, I just won't let something go. I just hold on to it too long. But the whole idea is do what you can't help but do is, is really understanding your natural rhythms. Like part of my healing journey as we finish off our time together was coming to understand that, that you know, as a young man, as an artist, I was going to be a painter I didn't hadn't figured out that photography was the thing for me yet that I thought I didn't need a schedule. I would stay up till all hours and drink too much beer and smoke too many cigarettes. And, you know, I just wanted to be the art, that artist, you know, that picture of the, the crazy drinking yeah. absinthe and yeah, watching can can girls. <laughs> but it turns out, you know, later in life, I find out in my forties that the most valuable thing I could do is have a regular schedule Go to bed on time get up early go for walks and and that the this thing that people ignore most all oh, especially creative people that i need regular sleep a good diet and exercise who knew like those three things would be monumental for me in my mental health journey
0: and i would say that's monumental for anybody create like creatives Because they, it's glamorized that they drink too much and they party too much, and it just the muse just comes out whenever. But no, actually, having a regular schedule makes your muse a little more rested.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I tell my 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 creative people that I'm teaching. I say one of the most important lessons that I could give them is that creative is not how you feel; it's who you are, and you can be creative no matter what. And I tell them I can prove it. And I ask people, especially mums, people who are mothers, when you get up in the morning, you don't feel like momming today. Do you do it anyway? Yeah. And do you do a good job? And that's the same way I feel about creativity. It's like the person going to work and they're going to their job and they wake up and they just don't feel like going to work today, but they go to work. And I say, did you do a good job when you were at work today? Did it require you feeling like doing a good job? doesn't require that the most valuable thing i learned is that creative is who you are not how you feel
0: that's brilliant yet another brilliant bomb <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna have to go back and re-listen to this one and write them all down because yeah. there's a there's a lot of stuff in this one i'm like oh my god i was taking notes earlier and then i just had to stop yeah <laughs> <laughs> Oh
1: my goodness. Well, I, I, yeah, I, um, yeah, I, I drop a, a few now and then just because they've been so impactful in my life. I, I you know, um, these things were monumental shifts in my thinking and they helped me live a very, very successful life now. And I don't say successful like I, you know, I, I, I'm not wealthy, you know, we, we live in a wealthy area and we own a home. So in that way, yeah, we are wealthy, you know, but I, I don't have a lot of extra to throw around. And, uh, But I'm one of the wealthiest people in the world because I'm on the other end of a difficult journey and I have joy and happiness in my life.
0: And I'd say joy is pretty valuable, really, right? Mm -hmm. If you can find joy, then you've won the lotto. Yeah. Right? Do you have any... I know I, I, I let you know in advance... Any final words of wisdom for everybody?
1: Wisdom. Eat your vegetables. <laughs> I, didn't,
0: I mean, you've already dropped a whole pile of them, but. <laughs>
1: final words of wisdom. Um, I think that for me, it, it, it would be. There's probably more in you than you think you're, there is. I don't. You know, this one's going to sound counterintuitive because I don't subscribe to the idea that everything you need is inside of you. Because I had a, a spiritual journey and a spiritual awakening, you could say, and I believe there were times in my life when I didn't have what I needed to make it through. And and so that spiritual transformation, transmation, good English—spiritual yeah. transformation. That 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 my faith journey. Um, was fundamental in carrying on, in being where I am today. That that if I didn't have a, that faith, that if I thought I needed to be enough, I wouldn't be here. On the other hand, I believe that we are far, far more resilient than we understand. And uh, yeah, if you're going through a rough time and you're not feeling very resilient, just hold on a little longer.
0: Right. Yeah. So true. You don't know what you've got until you need it. Yeah. Right. And I, I mean, I always tell people whether it's faith or call a friend or get a relationship or just stick up your hand and say, "Just need a little hand up right now." That's yeah. not a sign of weakness. That's a sign of, "I just need to get over this hump." Yeah. And and then then I'm rocking it, right? Yeah so good so, i mean i it's true we probably could go on for hours because <laughs> you're super because i still <laughs> have lots be of, other, other there's still enough. lots of things to learn from you i know i know so i'm going to put in the show notes everywhere i don't know where they show up above below besides somewhere around yeah. um so that people can get into contact with you because okay. um and uh, can i is there a link to your tedx too
1: yeah do you know what um look up ron clifford in tedx um there's only two two i think there's an, another famous ron clifford who survived the world trade center bombing other than that you'll find me okay <laughs> so you the look up ron, ron clifford in tedx <laughs> and the bipolar photographer you will find me i don't i didn't bring a link i could probably send it to you if you want to put it in show notes or whatever but um
0: i can look yeah. it up because i'm gonna yeah, check yeah it's easy it to look up yeah amazing Not,
1: I'm not hard to find.
0: Thank you so much, my friend, for spending some time with me and sharing your wisdom. Because every time I do a celebrity chat, I learn something new and come out inspired. So Mm. thank you for sharing with everybody.
1: I've really enjoyed having this conversation.
0: Awesome. Thanks, my friends. Contact Ron. He's brilliant. I will see you again next week. Take care. Hi, my friend. Thanks so much for listening to this entire podcast. If you found it useful and you're like me and you like like helping others, please feel free to share this. Just give it a like. Give it a comment. If you found something useful in it, there's a chance that someone else will find something useful as well. Also, if you have any questions at all, I can absolutely help and I would love to help. You can email me at Heather at prosperityflowcoaching.com. If you want more of this awesome content, you can follow me on Instagram, Heather Stewart Coaching. You can follow me on Facebook, Prosperity Flow Coaching. And I have a personal request. I want to help as many people as I can with these podcasts. And if you could give me a review, hopefully a good one, if you could share, if you could send this out into the world, I would truly appreciate it. I hope you have an amazing day. And I hope that you find your way to wellness by getting back to me. Take care, my friend.